Welcome to Baby Wearing and Breastfeeding, Nurturing Miracles, a podcast dedicated to the unique challenges and joys of parenting medically complex kids. Each week, we'll engage in discussions relevant to all parents navigating their children's illnesses. I'm your host, Megan Pa, a lactation consultant and mom to a medically complex child, here to share insights and support on this nurturing journey. Welcome back to Baby Wearing and Breastfeeding, the podcast where we talk about everything baby wearing and breastfeeding, specifically tailored to our medically complex kids. I'm your host, Megan Paul. I am a mama four. I baby wore my children growing up, so for literally 11 years straight. You know, I'm a breastfeeding mama. I'm also a lactation consultant, and one of my children is a medically complex child. So I literally have just taken all the things that I'm really passionate about and piled them together so that I can share it with you. I've got about 12 years of experience and I just want to share all of the things that I've learned with parents. And what we do on this podcast is we're inviting guests, we're inviting other parents and experts in their fields to um, give you guys resources, give you advice. And I'm really excited about today's episode because today we are going to be interviewing Dr. Shirley North. She is a physical therapist with 12 years of experience. She specializes in pelvic floor therapy for both men and women and also lymphatic health. So Dr. Shalia, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you actually kind of tell me what led you to being a physical therapist? Well, thank you again for for welcoming here. I'm so excited. Um, Yeah, so physical therapy came to me just being on the other side of things. So I was a gymnast growing up and I have an orthopedic, you know, medical history record super high for all my injuries. Um, I also was born with a cleft lip and palate, which I had to have several surgeries on my face and speech therapy. And I had to have PT for that as well with one of those surgeries for a bone graft. Um, So it's like I've been on the patient side of things and I just was always interested in how the body worked and how intricate it was and just how complex. And so, yeah, I just always really want to be a physical therapist. I don't know what it was. It was like something in high school just clicked. And here I am today. You know, I always think and say that literally the best providers, and this is like really across the board for any providers, are the people that have lived through it themselves, right? Yeah. So like you were drawn to physical therapy because you were the patient on the other end. Like yep. I was drawn to being a lactation consultant because I was the mom 12 years ago, like <laughs> crying through right, right. <laughs> nursing session because it was so painful. And I was like, man, there's gotta be a better way. Um, so you just, this is exactly what I love is talking to providers that they're just, they're in it because they're passionate about, about doing and serving the community. I'd like to talk about the pelvic floor, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't think that, um, most people even really think about their pelvic floor, most women or, or even men, um, especially <laughs> when before having a baby <laughs> and yes. then after you've had a baby, I might think about it a lot. <laughs> So can you just tell us what the pelvic floor is, why it's important for women, especially during pregnancy and the postpartum period? Yeah, so the pelvic floor is referred to the 
um, specifically the muscles of the the pelvis. So kind of like that bowl. So I'm sure I'm sure you have all maybe seen or maybe will see, especially with the pregnant mamas out there, those little pelvis models, right, with the little red muscles in there. Um, and so the pelvis is just a keystone in your body. It quite literally looks like a keystone, and it is. It's the center of your body. And there's so much going on there. Um, so the pelvic floor, we're referring to the muscles and ligaments and tendons and nerve supply and blood supply um, within that area um, that the main functions are for urinary function, bowel function, and sexual function. And then especially for the uh, pregnant mamas is to for, for labor and delivery. Those muscles are so crucial. I also like to couple the pelvic floor with the entire core. So the pelvic floor is literally the floor of that canister, whereas the diaphragm is on the top of that canister, and they work in conjunction with one another. And then you have the front, the abdominals, and then the back muscles as well. So it's actually this 3D canister that we are shaped. We're not 2D you know, people. So pelvic floor is 25% of that, but it is so very important to just recognize. And I think sometimes the medical industry, we kind of cut that area out. Like we work from like the belly button up and then mm -hmm. skip over the pelvis and then from the hips down. It's like, guys, there's this whole section in the middle that has so many important functions and features and things that literally go in and out you know, of it that we yeah. need to know how it works and how it functions. And so, yeah, the pelvic floor is just so, so crucial to literally our everyday lives and then also within the peripartum. So before pregnancy, during, and after. There's a lot of changes. Everybody thinks about, oh, the belly grows and my back arches. Maybe lowest. So I get low back pain. I get sciatica or I get that diastasis recti, the separation of the abdominal muscles. Yes. However, <laughs> What's the bottom? <laughs> What's so happening in the bottom? Yeah. <laughs> we need to know the bottom. And you need to, um, I think it's just so crucial to not only, you know, me being biased and being a public floor physical therapist, but to also, for those that are listening out in there, is like get to know a specialist within your area, whether you are pregnant, not pregnant, you know, male or female, anywhere in between, um, but especially for um, pregnancy because your your whole body changes preparing for the big day and so those joints those muscles those ligaments those tendons need to be strong but flexible right so we need to kind of find that goldilocks you know thing and as the pregnancy continues more and more focus should be on like um, labor positions. And so I know, you know, Megan, um, you know, you're in doula as well. And so like you help people get into those positions at that time. Well, what if nobody's gotten on all fours in years? What if somebody hasn't gotten to a nice deep squat? You know, that's really good for delivery. Well, I really tried to help make sure that we can get in these positions, that we can breathe through these positions to help with the labor process that much more. So that way recovery postpartum, we can recover back to optimal health in that area as well. So you mentioned that you want your pelvic floor to be strong 
in the prenatal period before going to delivery, some of the things that we can do is position work. But I'll tell you my very first introduction to the pelvic floor, never even heard the concept or knew what that was. My first introduction was a childbirth education class when I was pregnant with my first baby. So I took a Bradley method course. And so for those of you don't that don't know, most people I think are probably familiar with Lamaze, you know, like thanks to Christy right. Allen and look who's talking. Right. <laughs> I think that was the public's first introduction to like the breathing of Lamaze. And um, that's not all that it teaches you guys. But in any case, um, Bradley method was like, you should be doing Kegels to mm. strengthen your pelvic floor prior to um, childbirth. And A, I was like, whoa, there's a pelvic floor. <laughs> and B, I was like, Kegels? And none of that. So anyways, I was in my late 20s when I had my first. I was like, oh, what are your thoughts on doing, are Kegels helpful? Do you recommend them? Can you tell people who are listening who maybe haven't heard of what a Kegel is and why that would be something you could do? Yeah, so um, Kegel is referring to those muscles contracting. So um, just being more specific within the female anatomy, because um, it is a different cue for male anatomy, but our focus here is on uh, female, you know, um, peripartum folks. So when you do a proper Kegel is like if you have that flow of urine and you try to clamp it off, right? That contraction without contracting any other muscles. So it's a more of a constriction and then a lift. So you're kind of closing off that hose, right? And lifting it up. So that is a Kegel. So if you're sitting there and all of a sudden you're going like up and down, right? Like that. That's not a Kegel. That's your butt. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so there are glutes, right? And there are um, your abdominals. And if someone's trying to like squeeze their knees together, it's like those are other muscle groups that connect to the pelvis. Absolutely. However, when we are trying to isolate the pelvic floor muscles or what we refer to levator ani, so if you hear that, what we're trying to do is to do that constriction and the lift. Um, so if you're doing a proper Kegel, no one can tell you're doing anything. Right? You should you be, be able doing to it do in it. a meeting. I could be doing it right now. You can do it right now. <laughs> um, so yeah, a lot of folks when I think it's appropriate is I give them that cue of, yeah, go ahead and try to like, relax during urination and try to like stop the flow in urine, right? Just to get them to understand what that feels like. So that way we can tie that into maybe other things. Now I say all this, that does not mean Kegels are appropriate for everyone. So I think that's a huge piece of misinformation out there that a lot of physical therapists and pelvic floor specialists like myself are trying to get out there. That in the world today, we are so freaking uptight. <laughs> we are so anxious. Our muscles are so tight and that's everywhere. <laughs> yes, yes. Everybody has that tension here. You got tension in that jaw. There are a lot of fascial or soft tissue connections with that pelvic floor that if you're holding tension up, right, which all of us tend to have tension up here, mm -hmm. it's also pulling the pelvic floor up. Or people who just hold their tension in their pelvic floor. So when something's already super like, 
tight, right? Like my biceps, like really tight. It's really short. And then I'm trying to like turn it on even more. It's not going to go anywhere, right? So I need to fully relax it so that way I can turn it on. Um, similar kind of thing with the pelvic floor. So when it comes to Kegels, I would really say trying to get that really assessed and where you're going to get that true assessment of that muscle group is a pelvic floor uh, physical therapist. Your OBGYN is looking at the organs, your uterus, your ovaries, vagina, the organs. Very important to have that checked out, you know, on at least annual basis and especially, you know, during your pregnancy. But to also, and the, phys- the public floor physical therapist is looking at the other structures around to help support that whole area. So there are some folks that are so uptight. I'm like, look, we need to relax. Like, don't, don't worry about Kegels right now. <laughs> and then there are some folks that are very weak and maybe they're having other symptoms, um, like urinary symptoms or, or, um, or bowel symptoms or like pain with sex or something like that, that, you know, maybe we do need to strengthen. So Kegels are not for everybody. They are important if we have weakness there, um, but they aren't for everybody. Yeah, that's a really good clarification to make. I also like how you suggested as part of just your preventive care as a woman when you are pregnant, that that is something that you want to get assessed. So not a lot of people think about the complementary care that would be really beneficial to have when you're expecting. Um, and I'm going to kind of list all the things. So especially for our medic, our parents, our mothers that have a high risk pregnancy. So whether that's maternal complications or fetal complications, you know, it actually is really beneficial to both mom and baby to um, not only be seeing your OB or your midwife and your high risk perinatologist, but also be seeing a chiropractor, also be seeing the, you know, physical therapist and having an evaluation of your pelvic floor done. And so I'm going to tie that in. So mm-hmm. now let's tie in. Why would you want to, to you know, figure out your physical, your, excuse me, your pelvic floor status? And how does that impact birth? So, and please jump in and correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> but, but please, right? Because I, I very well could be. But in any case, the primary thing during birth is going to be pushing. So the average pushing phase for a first time mom is two to four hours. And believe it or not, like y'all, that is work. Like you are building up a sweat. You are really working that muscle. And the reason that it takes two to four hours is because as your uterus contracts, it during the contraction is actually pushing baby down. But when the contraction's over, it relaxes. So think of the baby coming down through the pelvic outlet and it's going two steps forward, one step back. And so your muscles are really getting a serious workout. So if your muscles are weak, that could be really challenging for you. You might definitely be the mom who's on the four hour end of the pushing, or you might have a really hard time um, and need assistance. Or if you're a mom that's like really tight and, you know, you mentioned, you know, I've been Mm -hmm. a doula off and on for 11 years. And so (laughs) I can... I very vividly have a memory of a mother who she was a marathon runner. She loved it. She was in the best physical shape. Like even nine months pregnant, this woman was like, "Mm, toned. She, believe it or not, really, really struggled in labor and especially pushing because she was just so muscular that everything was tight. 
and she could not relax like her her muscles could not relax to push that baby out and mm. she really had a hard time and granted these are kind of like two of the extremes mm -hmm. but um the point is i think it's good for anybody um the point that you were making it's good for anybody to kind of get an awareness of where your starting point is and what you should be doing yes. because it just literally anything that we can do to make birth more successful, I think, especially for moms that know that there's going to be a complicated other complications, right? Yes. We don't want to like add yes. to the unknown. So everything that you can do um, to prepare and to eliminate some of those complications is really going to help you out. Uh, absolutely. And like, and that's the thing too, that pelvic floor physical therapist, a lot of us are, I mean, we're, we're general practitioners, right? So we walk out of PT school, knowing, you know, a little bit about everything, right? And then we kind of specialize in just like other, you know, physicians, you know, they go to residencies, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So pelvic floor physical therapists, we tend to have a lot of orthopedic background. We tend to have a neuro, you know, background as well, neurology. Um, so we can understand, and it's just amazing how the pelvic floor is the accumulation of all of that, right? So yes, there's joints, there's ligaments, there's tendons, there's all of that, but there's a lot of nerve supply and how our nervous system is involved with how our muscles relax or contract, mm -hmm. especially during labor, right? A very strenuous thing, right? Um, we can understand and kind of help out with that. And as a pelvic floor um, physical therapist, I also take a step back, right? I'm looking at posture. I'm looking at how are our hips, how are our back, how are we breathing, how are our our abdominal muscles. Um, it's all that, like we're, we're a physical therapist first. So we look at all of everything. And then again, that keystone, the pelvis of how that's coming together with whatever presentation. Or yeah, I would love to see every like woman who wants to get pregnant, like see them before they get pregnant, right? Cause there might have been issues that it might have just been kind of pushed aside and then pregnancy just exacerbates it. And it's like, no, this wasn't normal to begin with. This isn't common. This isn't normal. Don't suck it up and just deal with it. Because then if you are blessed with a pregnancy, you know, it's going to potentially get worse or continue those complications. And then postpartum is like, oh man, I wish we could have worked on that, you know, before. Yeah. Um, but then like during, you know, labor, like, you know, yeah, getting into those positions to help either relax that pelvic floor um, is so important. I also am looking at tissue integrity. So the pelvic floor does have external musculature. So you're like, oh God, am I like seeing muscles? <laughs> it's like, no, it's their skin, okay? <laughs> but um, there are, there's an external layer to the muscles that for uh, the female anatomy make up or like right underneath the labia. And so, and then right in between where the kind of really bony parts of your, of your pelvis, of your bottom, you know, when you're sitting on your butt, it's a really bony part of your butt. So in between those two points, there's a muscle along there too. And those external muscles, that external layer really needs to be able to be flexible. So it's kind of, we don't want to um, like confuse anybody when we say relax versus being flexible, mm -hmm. right? Because during that moment in labor, like nothing's relaxed, right? Like you're just like all systems go, right? Like we're going in there. It's like, but is it flexible enough or can we get into a position to help with that tension to release that tension to allow that flexibility? So sometimes I have people just look at your vulva. Let's see your pelvis. 
see what's going on. What is normal to you, right? And then is there some tissue that isn't as flexible as it possibly could be? So when I see like a first time mom or second time or 10th my mom, doesn't matter. It's like, okay, here we are in this pregnancy during that first, you know, trimester, possibly going into the second of, all right, we need to start working on the flexibility of these specific tissues um, so that when you get to that point within labor, we're less likely to tear, right? We're less likely to need an episiotomy, um, like that kind of, you know, um, labor complication that if we were able to look at that either before or during the very beginning parts of, of labor, though the flexibility of those tissues can really help. So that way there isn't a lot of postpartum complications, you know, for mom, because we're going to have to be taking care of ourselves and babies. <laughs> so one yeah. last thing we got to worry about. <laughs> Absolutely. And when you talk about um, preparing the tissues by getting into some positions and stretching them, do your pregnancy hormones help that out? Like, mm. I know that when we're pregnant, we produce relaxin, um, and so that also ligament, uh, loosens all of your ligaments and joints, but how does that impact specifically the pelvic floor, and is it enough for most women, or do you still recommend that, you know, universally, we should all be doing certain physician work to promote the best possible outcome in labor? Oh, such good questions. Um, so, I'm so glad we're doing this. Um, so yes, these are very, very common questions we get. Um, so yes, there is the hormone relaxant. Now, keep in mind, just because you're pregnant and you have relaxant, like coursing through your veins, does not mean you're like Gumby and Lucy Goosey, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. A lot of people think of like, oh my God. Like my pelvis is just going to be all over the place. And it's like, yeah. no, <laughs> what relaxing <laughs> does is that the ligaments are what connect bone to bone. Tendons are what connect um, muscle to bone. Tendons have more blood supply. Ligaments don't as much. So the ligament tension is always pretty dang strong because it's keeping the bones kind of, you know, together. Yeah. So they got to be strong, right? Relaxing just helps lighten up that tension a smidge. So that way those bones will be able to move a little bit to during the, you know, final phases of labor. But then it will, that relaxing will start to, you know, get out of the body, right? Postpartum. And so that, that tension will come back. So I think sometimes that relaxin is like used as like, oh, I'm super flexible. I have a ton of relaxin when pregnancy is like, no, it's more um, what you're really born with too. So there are a lot of women that are just hyper mobile. They're super duper flexible and someone that are not. And then some people just have a lot of high tone in their muscle groups. So when we are looking at the muscular tissues and at the ligaments, I am assessing that through palpation, you know, so yes, we are touching the external part of your pelvis. And then I am a big believer on internal work as well, um, because that's just where the internal layer of these muscles are in their, their inside. So, um, and that can be accessed in two ways with, with females through a vagina and through the rectum. But we're, I'm palpating the 
the firmness and like the tightness, just like you would palpate like your shoulder muscles, right? Like you're kind of palpating and I'm not pushing this hard in your pelvis. Those are very fragile, you know, they're very uh, fragile tissues there, but you're palpating. Am I feeling like, like a trigger point? Am I feeling like, like a rope or really taut, you know, band in there or something? Um, so it's like internal work. And then for the external mu muscle layer, like what we talked about earlier, that's the one that does the constriction part of the Kegel and the internal muscles do the lift. So mm. if when we try to constrict or try to hold, you know, things, when you try and do that Kegel, is there tightness with that? Is Are there any, you know, bands or any sensitivities or, so or trigger points So when you're doing there? an internal exam, sorry, I'm cutting out, but I'm like, oh, good question. When you, yeah. I've got a good question. When you're doing an internal exam, part of the reason you're doing that is because it allows you to isolate those two muscles and really make a determination of, which one could be potentially weak and which one is strong. And that will give you the, you know, the goals for your care plan. So, absolutely. Yeah, so that another really good reason and, um, you know, point validation of why it's important to do both internal and external exams, because it's really going to heighten the level of care that people receive, um, you know, after your appointment and how they can strengthen their pelvic floor. So that's and really some of the muscles of the pelvic floor we can access externally. Yeah. So if I have somebody that's like, mm, not really yeah. you know, 100% this time, it's like, it's all right, because you're, you're the boss. I always say there is, there is continual consent. And I ask my clients throughout the session, is that okay? Is that okay? You know, can we move forward? All that. Because you're the boss here, right? However, yes, I, I completely believe there is external internal work that needs to be assessed. So that way, yeah, we can really individualize and really pinpoint, you know, what's going on and what we can improve um, to help with the, especially like the labor process and postpartum. Yeah. That's very interesting. Okay, so so now we know exactly why it's important to have be with the physical therapist and have our exams. Um, we know how it impacts labor. What about once baby's been born? Because mm -hmm. I think for all of those that are listening that have already had a baby, especially us multi moms, four over here. <laughs> By the time you get to baby number three, especially baby number four, you can forget about ever jumping on a trampoline again. So <laughs> <laughs> what do I mean, guys? Um, you know, wear a diaper. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. So, yeah. Right. And so in my mind, um, when you give birth, it loosens everything down there. Mm -hmm. And so you need to do some work maybe Kegels, maybe something else that you could suggest to strengthen those muscles again so that you're not having um, the problem of never jumping on a trampoline with your child. <laughs> what is your suggestion for post-birth recovery? Is it too late for me? No, no, I, I gently or lovingly call all my clients onions. You all got layers, right? We all have a layer. Each baby was a layer. Each pregnancy was a layer, right? Um, but there are several layers to everybody. And so it's very interesting when you talk about like jumping on a trampoline and that's, you know, referring to like urinary incontinence, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that is common and is not normal. So I want to make that big big distinction there yeah. um and people that were really like crossfit or runners or really like high elite athletes mm -hmm. they um sometimes tend to have more fecal incontinence too mm -hmm. um but common 
not normal, right? Mm -hmm. So we definitely want to, like here we are, if I have somebody who's, you know, postpartum, I do still can do an assessment because we need to look at posture, positioning. Now we're, you know, we're tying in like lactating, right? Breastfeeding. We all tend to be like awful hunched over posture or picking up baby. You get like the best arm workout ever because you're constantly like carrying something. Um, But we tend to like shift a hip to one side and now our back is all cattywampus and, you know, all this stuff. So we do some crazy positioning when we're all of a sudden become a mom, right? It's like, I never did this before. What am I doing now? And that just kind of throws stuff off, you know, in, in our pelvic and in our function there. So I love to be able to assess people. I give people, I mean, they say, you know, there's a whole six week, you know, postpartum night checkup. There is little to no research about why people chose six weeks. Why is it six weeks? Right? Why is it six weeks, y'all? Huh? No, 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 no. It takes <laughs> up to um, twelve weeks for really soft tissue healing to occur and for neuromuscular changes to start to be implemented. I'm not saying you wait to that point. Absolutely, if there are tears, if there are you know labor um, complications, yeah. you're going to be seeing you know your clinician beforehand. But when I have a mama, um, and I shared a lot of um, folks that they have, you know, they they have their baby. I'm like, take a couple weeks, take a couple weeks. We're not going to see each other. You're just going to try to establish a new norm. Like, just breathe, right? And like diapers, wipes, carrying. There's a lot That's of eating. changes that go Maybe. on. Whatever, mostly. Yeah, and it's like I like to see people between that four to six week time frame. Right, because we do need to allow tissues to start healing, right? Because somebody could be coming in and like, oh my god, like I'm I'm leaking, you know, I, I have urinary incontinence, like do I have a prolapse? And it's like, yeah, your uterus did a lot of work, right? <laughs> you did a lot of work there, and so you have to allow that tissue healing and all those soft tissues internally. So your your organs inside are actually suspended and held up and supported with what's called fascia or soft tissue. That is what's mainly affected by that relaxant hormone to kind of relax everything um, and to reduce that tension. So you have to allow that to kind of shorten back up during that time to bring that back. Um, so. I allow that time, but I do like to try to see somebody before their six-week follow-up with their OBGYN so I can kind of help guide that conversation too of, you know, um, is there, you know, can I take a peek, you know, I'm doing that um, pelvic assessment and I'm saying like, hey, you know, the tissues are still looking pretty, you know, uh, like we might want to try to get that addressed with your OBGYN or, you know what, we're like, we're really weak right now. Maybe we do need to start incorporating that breath work with the Kegels, with your everyday functioning things that you're doing now. There's a lot of squatting. There's a lot of lifting now. Yeah. Um, so getting on to that body mechanic work. Um, your in terms of like just pure strengthening exercise prescription is you know you don't we just want to blank it out you know just do Kegels right just what we said earlier, mm-hmm. but. Your pelvic floor always has tone. It is always on, right? It's always there, okay? If it wasn't on, then your insides would be outside. Right, they just prolapse. <laughs> right, so like, it's it's there. 
it's just a matter of how much more you can turn it on to to help with that strengthening and everything. And that's the piece that we just have to allow that to heal a little bit. But within that like four to six week point, that's where I like to do that assessment of where are we, right? Let's yeah. do a little pulse check. Where are we with this? To help start things. Yeah. Um, because when you do squat, when you do a lunge, when you lift up, you know, something your body starts to automatically turn muscle groups on. So like, why not try to help engage that during that time too? So I'm a big like functional physical therapist where I'm not sitting there giving like a thousand different exercises. I'm like, okay, let's try to isolate. What does that feel like? Let's bring some awareness here. And then, okay, now let's do that squat, you know, and I could care less. And then bring the baby. That's the greatest weight of all. Bring the baby, <laughs> bring their carrier. Let's do this together so that way you can feel, oh, this is the right mechanics of it to really optimize not only my leg strength and my glute strength and my abdomen, you know, trying to kind of bring that tension back, but also my pelvic floor to reduce any further, you know, leakage or possible prolapse or anything like that going down the road. Yeah, so I, I like to see people within that like four to six week window if we can. Um, but then definitely after, if I haven't seen you before, then definitely after that six week, you know, OBGYN, you know, appointment, because um, yeah. we're going to kind of get you back. Your, your abdominals did a lot of work with that breathing. Your diaphragm did as well. Your glutes and your hip muscles and your leg muscles are much bigger, stronger muscles than your pelvic floor. And I bet you they probably weren't doing, you know, a ton of work or your pelvic floor was doing a lot of compensations during your pregnancy that you didn't realize, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I have a lot of moms right now working a lot of hip work um, because when you're growing babies coming forward, your mechanics, your whole posture changes. And now that that's gone, your body's like, wait a minute, how do we reset? You know, so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I like it. I like your suggestion. And for everybody listening, I want to offer a couple of tips. Number one, because I feel like um, for any parent out there, even if you're not um, dealing with medical complexities after birth. And so for parents who are, you already have a lot of doctor's appointments you're going to, yes. um, whether for yourself or you're making daily trips up to the NICU. It can be a lot. But for me, what I want to share, what can work is to um to piggyback those appointments so mm -hmm. if you can if at all possible let's say you're going to the hospital to the NICU then if your physical therapist is there there's definitely going to be physical therapists there mm -hmm. take 30 minutes you know after you've gone and seen your baby and go take care of yourself right. um the other thing is uh, and I kind of want to also break a timeline down that I think would be extremely helpful because We've mentioned, um, and Dr. Shalia has mentioned everybody, that that first postpartum visit for most women with an OB is six weeks. That is a long time, guys, because a lot can happen with your body. And as women, and if we've got something going on with our baby, then we just ignore ourselves. But you, mm -hmm. you need to hone in. And so that six-week appointment, I believe, is established because that's how long it takes the uterus to involute from your, pre, your pregnancy size back down to your pre-pregnancy size, which is the size of your fist. And that takes it's a lot of work. And, but that doesn't mean that you should go unseen for six weeks. And so right. one of the reasons why I have always been a really big supporter of midwifery care, especially for those 
birth center midwives and the home birth midwives is because they're seeing you a lot in the first couple of weeks. And so I think that's just so key for women to have a, a pulse point, a check-in. Yes. And so if you're able to have check-ins sooner, um, even if you don't have a midwife, if you have an OB, I think lactation, if that's, if you're breastfeeding, then lactation, absolutely. You get it in the hospital, but most people don't realize this. I personally really recommend a one week visit. It's just so, mm -hmm. that's just a really good time frame to get in with people. And then the physical therapist, it sounds like at four weeks or between four to six, because you can also piggyback it with your OB appointment. So my suggestion again with any, for, for anybody is that make sure that when you are taking care of baby, you're taking care of yourself and try, like mm -hmm. if you're already out, if you're already out running appointments, you know, try to hit two doctors, especially if you're in a practice with multiple providers hit them mm -hmm. both on the same day. Okay. I have another question for you. Um, it's something that I always wondered what the level of difference was in postpartum care with a pelvic floor for a mother that had a C-section versus a mother that had mm -hmm. a vaginal delivery. So is the C-section mama going to be having to do as much postpartum strengthening as the vaginal delivery mama? Is it about the same? Is it less? Where are, where are we with that? <laughs> I love that. And I'm so, so glad you asked that, that comparison question, because I think also, you know, we do, we do a lot of mom shaming and y'all, we got to stop, right? Oh my so God, you guys, for sure. We got to stop. It's hard right? for all of us. <laughs> and, you know, you're, you're blessed with a pregnancy. You're blessed of having that child. Who flipping cares how right. it came out, right? <laughs> well, also, I want to say for everybody listening, and it's going to be much sooner, but I'll just say, by the time your child is five and in kindergarten, nobody is talking about how you gave birth. Nobody is talking about how you fed this child. Like, it's just not even a thing anymore. So yeah. let's all move past it now. Yes. <laughs> Please move yeah. it on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's, um, and the body prepares the same way, whether you are going to be delivering vaginally or via C-section, your body doesn't know. It's not like, mm, we're going to stop right here and just do a C-section. It's like, <laughs> no, like relaxing happens, right? Everything's like, so your body's preparing to go the more natural way, which is vaginal, right? But things happen right or baby doesn't fit or whatever and then possibly emergency and you've got to do a c-section that is nothing wrong with that so i'm a mom of two c-section for both okay <laughs> and i'm like so i have gotten that shaming so so much because like oh i didn't do it naturally and that's a big load of dookie because i did we tried but that doesn't make me any less of a mom Absolutely. right but Absolutely. to um, because yeah, if you go vaginally, there's a potential of tearing or episiotomy, yeah. stitches, C-section, stitches, right? Sounds like, okay. So there is absolutely no matter which way. You, so your body is still the, so as far as preparation, the same, but your body doesn't exact know. Same preparation. So yep. floor, same preparation. Yep. So it's whenever we have like Sorry. So whenever no, no, we have no, like multiple good. like pregnancies, so let's say if mama, like I, I actually just had this the other day, a mom of two, she went um, C-section for the first one. And then the second one amazingly had a V-back. So a vaginal birth after a C-section. And so, but there was still possibly some scar tissue from the C-section 
that we have to still uh, kind of deal with a little bit and work out a little bit from that C-section scar because that scarring created that tension. And so we wanted to work through that tension before, you know, in prep for, for labor. Um, or if somebody had, you know, reverse, maybe there was an episiotomy for the first one and we had some, some stitching there, we want to loosen up, trying to get the, that flexibility within that tissue, within that scar tissue in preparation for the second delivery. So no matter which way, the prep is still similar, um, whether it's your first time or, yeah. you know, your fifth time. Um, and then, yeah. Does not That's end. actually really interesting, too, that you broke it down that way, that, again, we're talking now about our multi-moms or baby number two, three. If you if you have scar tissue, you know, of course, it doesn't really matter where the scar tissue is. Is it on your bottom for, you know, your perineal care or is, is it C-section? And so you're going to need to work through that because right. scar tissue is really tight and it's not super giving. And so um, you absolutely working with the physical therapist to loosen it up to be more conducive for labor. So that's absolutely how you could prepare um, either way. So in the postpartum period, mm -hmm. if you've had a C-section versus a vaginal delivery, let's say we've got our C-section moments, did you have to deal with the incontinence issue still? Mm. Because in my mind, I'm like, well, you still have the pressure of the baby for nine months. Um, so, you know, I, in my head, I would think that, yes, you still are going to have to deal with that. But is it maybe a little bit less? I don't know. I'm hoping you could shed some light. Yeah, yeah. Great question. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the body is preparing for either way. And like what I uh, spoke about a little bit earlier with the, what that fascia, that soft tissue, um, that support is also preparing, right, no matter which way you go. Um, and so actually there is no real um, like evidence no out there and I'm hoping more research comes out, but there is no difference whether you go vaginal or C-section, um, who's going to get urinary incontinence yeah. and who's not. Oh, that's um, really interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's no difference. So, um, it, so then let me kind of dial in even more. So essentially then the true difference is the individual as far as yes. urinary incontinence, the individual, their individual, like their body, potentially their hormones. Also like what you were saying, their muscles, like maybe we've got the super flexible mom um, or maybe we're not, we're the complete opposite. We've got a, a hypertone. So um, it's that individual plus maybe also some of your life experiences, injuries. So that's really interesting. So urinary incontinence is, in the postpartum period is more directly uh, related to the individual than it is mode of delivery. Yes. So um, that's really good that we, um, you cleared that up for me. So hopefully <laughs> everybody listening, um, you know, is learning as well. Really interesting question that I'm wondering if diet plays any part because, and I, I, it's a muscle, right? Like there's muscles like, and muscle is impacted by um, diet. Like, you know, if I'm going to, not have a great diet, then I'm not gonna, I'm gonna have a difficult time toning my muscle. So is that true for the pelvic floor? So what's great is um, that, yeah, urinary and bowel function um, really are hand in hand, you know, with, with pelvic floor stuff. So there are some dietary considerations that we go over with um, some folks. And 
Um, and then I also work a lot with a nutritionist, you know, as well. So, you know, within my little pelvic floor, physical yeah. therapy hat, nurses, like, okay, this yeah. is kind of outside the realm because maybe the individual has allergies or something like that we need to consider. Um, but for the most part, we want to make sure we're peeing and pooping, right? So that mm-hmm. diet is very important to make sure we're well hydrated. So for the lactation, you know, piece of it, we're still drinking just like how we were when we were pregnant, right? We want to drink a lot more water than you think. Um, but now we're postpartum and dear God, we need some caffeine, right? And so that's fine, but we just want to make sure we're still keeping that hydration up because caffeine isn't diuretic, for example. We, you know, without that wine for all pregnancy, we want to have that, just a glass of wine at the end of the night. And like, okay, that's cool. You know, just grab some water with it, double fist it. Um, so <laughs> double, <laughs> double fisting and I'm in my 30s or 40s and it's not two, two alcoholic drinks, it's your water it's and your wine. <laughs> you know you're adulting if you've got water and wine. It's <laughs> so true. Um, but yeah, so we, we look at the, the hydration things a part of your diet. We're also looking at the fiber intake. So being able to eliminate your bowel is actually really important with the hormonal changes as well that happen within the female body, um, not only when, you know, menstruating, but also when, you know, during the maternity time and then also for men, for when we are on the menopause. You know, so our hormones definitely change and we want to make sure we're eliminating all that extra waste. And so having a good bowel movement regime is so important. So, yes, that's so interesting. And do talk about a lot of poop. (laughs) I'm so glad that we are talking about poop. And if you are expecting and you're not a new mom yet, just lady moms, dads get prepared like you are going to talk about poop more than you have ever in your entire life. It's going to be a daily conversation and it's not just going to be your kid's poop. It'll be your poop too. Mm-hmm. So that's really interesting. I don't think I ever would have made, um, and why would I not like, but it never just occurred to me. Cause I don't think we talk about, this is not something that a conversation we normally have is talking about our pelvic floor, but it makes sense mm-hmm. after you say it that, you know, if you're constipated, it is going to impact you know, your, your pelvic floor function. So that's just really interesting. Well, or your pelvic floor might be the thing that's keeping you constipated, you know? Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. Right. Of course it it could go either way. Very interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Ladies, because I know that a lot of us deal with, you know, um, irritable bowel syndrome or constant, like all a array of uh, gastrointestinal issues. So talk to your physical therapist, get them looped in, see what you could be doing to help help yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that I talk about, you know, is like, yes, we have, you know, especially for my mamas, you know, yes, we're going to be working on like postpartum, got it. Okay. Vaginal, you know, health Mm -hmm. and all that. But like for females, we have two other holes. We have to make sure that, and the pelvic floor encompasses all of that. So Mm -hmm. I do talk about, uh, you know, hydration and urinary function. And I talk about your, your diet and your bowel function. So we go through the normal values. We go like where they are, because remember all the individual stuff, right? So somebody's constipation might be somebody's norm, right? So we want to make sure. So I often kind of have people do like a little um, urinary or like bowel uh, journal or diary for like maybe a week, just to kind of give me like a snapshot of like, you know, what's going on. And then we go over those results and see, okay, and as different stressors happen, as different dietary things happen, we're now, we're recording this during like the holiday season. So like, 
all sorts of stuff happens during the holiday season. So yeah. Um, yeah, but that is a very important part of our pelvic function. It isn't just for birthing and labor, but also for these other everyday functions and sexual function, right? So that's another big piece that we talk about as well. I think that absolutely let's dive into that because I think that a lot of women, um, maybe men too, right? So please actually feel free to like jump in because um, I, I don't have male anatomy. I don't know what kind of, you know, difficulties that they have, but it's for, for anybody dads listening, I think this is going to be helpful for them. Mm-hmm. But pain with sex is not mm. normal unless we're into other yeah. things. <laughs> But it's not not normal. And so especially I think because there's so many changes happening um, after you've had a baby and if you've hit your six week visit and you're cleared to start having sex again and then you you try and the first it's painful like that is going to be really it's a big hump to to overcome. So what? What is normal? Is it normal to, when you're having sex for the first time after you've had a baby, is it normal to be sore down there? Mm-hmm. Is it not like, is I actually, so let me give you an example because yeah. I think that this will help for those listening. When I'm, and I know this is like, guys, get ready. This is a weird comparison. <laughs> it's weird. But when I'm seeing a mom who's in her first week of the postpartum visit, she's a brand new mom, first baby, and she's breastfeeding for the first time. There are a lot of reasons why she's going to feel some tenderness. I'm going to be careful with my words here. So we all understand some tenderness with breastfeeding, not pain. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's a difference because they, you may read online, like you should have no pain and they think of no pain as nothing like no tenderness, but ladies, you have huge hormonal changes huge um, hormonal shifts, huge changes in your breasts. You've never used your breasts or your nipples in a mechanical way. So yes, some tenderness is normal. And absolutely that should level off and go away. But on a scale of zero to 10, when I talk to people, a two to three can be normal in the realm of tenderness. If you hit a four, that's a red flag for me. So in relation to that, how would you talk to your um, physical therapy pelvic floor p- patients? Like if they're having sex for the first time after yeah. birth or, or whatever, whenever, and mm-hmm. they're experiencing some tenderness or some pain, what is normal versus we're at a red flag now? Like what's yeah. the number? Such a good question. So I first kind of start off saying it takes two to tango, guys. <laughs> so this was not just females because another thing like you know we we mom shame but then also we we just hold everything in and we just think it's our fault you know like what am i doing and it's like okay so not only do i talk to you about their like their pee and their poop but also i'm asking them okay when you have that discomfort right and i try to use discomfort as like a softer term um Mm -hmm. because sometimes when people hear pain you know it's like pain, tenderness. And so if they're going to say like discomfort or pain, I'm asking them more descriptive words. Is it sharp? Is it shooting? Is it throbbing? Is it sore? Is it tender? You know, so I'm getting that because that kind of also helps me with my clinical picture of, is it more muscular soreness? Is it more sharp, shooting, burning, throbbing, stabbing? Now maybe like a neural thing is going on because there are nerves there, you know, that were also just 
stretched and everything as well for the labor process. Um, and they also have to stretch for positioning. Mm-hmm. So I also am asking them, you know, are you, is it upon receiving, upon giving? Is it vaginal? Is it rectal? Is it, you know, so we're going through these very um, detailed questions just to help paint the picture. Now, I am a pelvic floor physical therapist. I am not a sex therapist. So I try to make that very clear. Like I am looking at this as a biomechanical piece of the body, but there is very much emotional and psychological as well. And we don't want to trigger that stuff. But if something is being triggered because of a prior trauma or because of the pain that was felt in labor, they don't want to feel that pain because that brain made that tag of, oh, my God, that was painful there. I don't want to do this again. Mm -hmm. There are several other factors that if I am seeing that that is more the, the impact then I definitely refer to a great, great sex therapist that I, that, you know, my little community and we all work together as a team. This is not like, oh my God, something's wrong. It's like, no, we just need to work through this. But yeah, so I definitely go through and just try to make it a comfortable environment to talk about. Um, Cause I do find like I'm a sex counselor. I am not a sex therapist mm-hmm. um, because I'm helping counsel. Okay. Biomechanically, is there something that is giving that discomfort maybe because any tight muscle or my hips, you know, in that certain position? Um, is it being penetrated? Is it being the penetrator? Is it when I'm lying on my back? Is it when we're on the side, all fours? Like those kind of different positions. I'm not sitting here saying like, yep, do doggy style every time and you'll be fine. No, <laughs> everybody's very different. Um, so we do go through that. And I do tell people that we're, we're going mm-hmm. to, to get there. And if you want to bring your partner, your spouse, whoever it may yeah. be, bring them in. And like, we can definitely talk about this together so everybody's comfortable. But sometimes when I'm going through and we're doing like postpartum and we've, we've worked on different stretches, we've maybe worked out some of that scar tissue mobility, things are getting nice and flexible, we're good. And it's like the greatest thing ever is when someone comes in and said, I could have sex with my husband again, and it didn't hurt at all. It's like, oh, right. Yeah. And so it was just, it's such like, we hug each other. We get, we, no, you know. it's so great. Yes. And okay. guys, like um, you can't separate. And here I am going to like, you know, be a philosopher to everybody. You really can't separate the physical portion of a relationship. You can't take it out and think that you're going to have a healthy relationship. You just can't. I mean, sex is a very much a part of a healthy marriage. And so, yes, you need time to heal from birth, but, um, you know, you got to get back on that horse. <laughs> Bad times coming in. Uh, but yeah, so absolutely. So I, I like that it is a big celebration once you get them absolutely. past the point where it's not painful anymore. That's huge. It is yeah. a celebration. And so we work on that, you know, and sometimes it's a positioning thing, you know, of yeah. like, okay, what position are we in? And we try to, I try to like go a little bit more, not to be like super objective and cold, but to just yeah. make it a bit easier, you know, communication and conversation with the client. And so that way it's like, okay, so think about how your pelvis is positioned. Mm-hmm. And so that's where sometimes we're utilizing things like you'll see all sorts of crazy toys when <laughs> like crazy, like, yeah. like shaped things within mm-hmm. a pelvic floor therapist office. But there are um, vaginal dilators and even rectal dilators and pelvic wand and stuff. So mm-hmm. we're working on that just to, to kind of help um, 
you know, maybe relax the tissue, yeah. but also I utilize that as possible angle of entry, you know, mm-hmm. for the guys to really understand, you know, yeah, the vagina is not the belly button. You're going to have to like figure out where we all are, right? And you're going to, and so sometimes it could be just such a simple little shift in yeah. the pelvis or in the positioning of maybe penile entry. And it's like, oh my God, I would have never known right. like, this. And so just going through that with the client can be so rewarding. And it's like, yeah, sex is meant to be a, yes, a unitive thing, but also a very intimate thing and a pleasurable thing. And yeah. so that is a huge part of quality of life that I'm a big advocate for. It's an acti- a activity of daily living, right? Yes. Whether we do it daily or not, that's up to you. But it's like, mm-hmm. we don't want pain to be a limiting factor. So if we're having any kind of discomfort or even maybe not necessarily with sex, let's say we could get back into menstruating. And that menstrual device that you were once using, maybe like a tampon, um, is not comfortable anymore. Like, why does it hurt when I insert it or when I take it out? Things mm-hmm. like that. It's like, that's still a penetrative act. And so sometimes, yeah. like, you know, we, we utilize that in the same way. What's the, you know, position of the pelvis like? What angle of entry are you utilizing? Do we need to shift gears in different menstrual device trialing? Things like that, too. So, you know, can we tolerate the next OBGYN appointment, you know, with that speculum, like things like that, that, that involve the pelvic floor tissues there, um, that, yeah, we work on as well. God, Dr. Shalia, that is everything, um, that we have gone over. It is, I really hope that people, um, are getting a clear picture about how important it is to have good pelvic floor health and not suffer in silence. I want to ask you, so a couple of things. Number one, you know, you know, not everybody is going to have great insurance mm-hmm. that covers um, seeing a physical therapist, or even if they do, a lot of times with these things, you might get two or three visits, but let's say you need four to get through your, you know, your care plan. So I, I like to ask every provider that, that mm-hmm. comes on are there ways to to pay for this if you're dealing with people who are paying out of pocket? Are there any kind of, you know, this might be, again, another wild question, but like grants or groups that like support, you know, people that are trying to get any kind of health care to get that financial aid that they may have to, because specifically um, parents that have, a lot of doctor appointments to go to, like you've got a lot of co-payments, those things add up fast. And then if you have equipment that your child needs or that you need, like that adds up fast. And in this day and age, we are all just struggling with the day to day. So how can somebody come and see you and take care of themselves and realistically cover the payments? Yeah, no, I, I love that. And that is, you know, as being clinicians and consumers, right, yeah. of healthcare, right? So I, I completely understand that. Um, I personally am an out-of-network provider because we find that insurance coverage is, yes, very difficult for the pelvic floor um, because pelvic floor, um, you know, when you write a goal to have pain-free sex, like they don't feel right. the person behind the desk doesn't feel it's important. It's like, are you kidding me? Um, so what if someone comes to me and is very frank with me, like, look, I know I really need this, but I can only afford X or, you know, I need to 
what, like, what can we do? I, I have that good conversation. They're like, all right, look, like we need to make sure you're committing to yourself. Um, and because of, you know, a lot of private practices that are cash based, we take a lot of time with the client, right? For those that are more insurance based, they tend to be shorter appointments and therefore you need more of them because they're only so much they can get through um, within that visit. Um, not downplaying them. That's just how, how the works. clinic works. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so I totally, you know, get that. Um, but for somebody that's a private practice and yes, a cash based or private pay, we're able to be with you for almost all of us are at least an hour, right? So we can get a lot done in an hour, a lot, right? So I really jam pack. If someone's like, look, I can only do like so much, um, you know, or I can only do whatever the case may be. Um, we jam pack a lot. And then I send them home with some real quick tips of like, all right, when you're doing this, I want you to focus on, you know, how we did in the clinic. And and it's really like up to them. And I throw the accountability onto the client at that point of, okay, you will, sh you will see, you know, benefit and results if you stick to the consistency. And then let me check in with you in, you know, maybe I offer instead of like the once a week frequency that I typically do for a lot of my pelvic floor folks, because I need them to have the time to be consistent with whatever activity we've worked on over a week at least. So that way we're really seeing gains so we can really progress. Um, but then understanding that the natural body healing has to occur, especially postpartum, the tissues need to, need to heal up. So and it takes time. So if we're not able to commit to one time a week, all right, let's maybe do every other week or, you know, maybe at most once a month, especially for like a new mom, first child, like I do want to see them a little more frequent at first and then I space out, you know, yeah. or I offer um, like virtual visit or something like that. So that way um, you can get the most bang for your buck and you're, because we're with you for so long, we're able to tackle a lot. So it's like that one payment is almost like what, four or five co-payments would have been with an insurance-based practice, right? So you're getting more bang for your buck for that. Um, there are um, some agencies out there like uh, Reimbursify is a great uh, company. I have like a little link on my website right now. Um, and it is for those folks that get like a super bill or a detailed receipt or whatever from their private pay provider, and you can submit that through your insurance because a lot of insurances may have an out-of-network benefit and you have no clue about, right? Unless you try to submit that claim. Yeah. So reimbursify is an agency is like that middle person that you give that super bill to, right? You can upload it, the information, and they will work with your insurance company to try and get as much um, out-of-network benefit reimbursement within your plan. Um, I also advise people like be an advocate for yourself, like go look at your insurance plan because a lot of plans now offer out of network benefits that you just really didn't know about. Um, but yeah, I would say um, for those that can only, you know, that are really fiscally, um, you know, tight, keep keeping that in mind with your healthcare and be like, okay, and being upfront with your clinician. Like if someone were to tell that to me on eval, be like, great, okay, I totally understand. Let's get as much done as we can in today. And then, you know, let's check in, you know, in a few weeks. So that way I've given you a plan what to work on the next few weeks. Um, if you need me, you know, definitely reach out. We can we can 
come, you know, come together sooner. But I understand the financial, you know, piece to it. But I'm, I'm telling you, like, if you invest in yourself for that, um, you will see the rewards of it moving forward. Like I have had several people that I'm like their third, even pelvic floor therapist. And they're like, wow, within just like a few sessions, like we see the benefit and, and, and there you go. Um, and yeah, so it's one of those necessary things, but do what's best for you and your family. And sometimes my folks are like, look, I just need a little bit of a break for the next few months. There's a lot of doctor's appointments. There's a lot of things we've got to afford for the kids. Totally get it. It's like, all right, let's set an appointment in a couple of months. And then, you know, we'll check in and reassess then. So um, we're with you for the journey. And that's something that as a private pay clinician, we can do that. We're not limited by insurance, limitation of visit, of time during the session. Um, so we can really get a lot of good stuff in. And it actually tends to be actually cheaper in the long run to do that way rather than just going on and on and on and on for months and having that, you know, stress of, oh man, I got to go back to PT. I'm six months later and I still haven't, you know, seen a lot of good results. Yeah. To kind of repeat what you were saying and make sure that I'm getting it fully. Number one, you guys, if you are, and it makes, it makes sense. So definitely not downplaying anybody that's on, that is an insurance-based provider, but those appointments are limited. Typically you're getting like an hour, you're in and out. And so what Dr. Shalia is saying is there is only so much you can cover in your in and out hour long appointment. So if you are a, um, you know, a cash pay, private pay patient, you're going to get more specialized care, more attention. They are able to work with you. And the other thing that I think is really important is look at your insurance because mm -hmm. it sounds like there is a lot of out of network um you know what would you say a lot of options for out of network right. provider benefits that you may not be aware of so that would be able to come in and assist you and so it sounds like you know it would be it would definitely benefit you to go for the out of network provider if they're able to tackle your issue and you can tackle it sometimes a lot faster than because you're going to get that specialized care and the attention to detail than you would sometimes with those in and out, you know, providers that you're having to see them so many times just to get a bunch of information because it's such short, it's these short appointments. So that's really, that's, that's very good information to have. So everybody can make like, you know, the decision that's best for them. Um, and then a tip on really kind of doing your homework in advance and looking at what you have, what your insurance options are. The other thing that I heard you say is that you do on occasion offer Zoom appointments or, or online mm -hmm. like telehealth visits, which I thought was kind of interesting because again, in my mind, I'm thinking like, you know, physical therapy, you've got to like be in person, but yeah. it makes sense that especially if you do evals, right? Mm -hmm. Potentially you're just getting intake and information. Um, you could do evaluations with people online and then follow-ups, I guess, um, online to check in with people could be, uh, could be a possibility. So in an evaluation, you could really like, it doesn't necessarily, if somebody it doesn't necessarily have to be a patient that is local to you, like you could do that um, with anybody really. And what, what are your criteria for those online visits? Yeah. So I, um, when it comes to, to virtual visits, um, I, I personally do try to see a person 
um, in person for the evaluation. Um, but if for whatever reason, uh, scheduling or we're about to hop into the weather, you know, of yeah. year, um, that there is a lot of, yeah, like intake information, um, a lot of those normal value, like what we were kind of talking about, their other public functions. But we got so used to doing things like Zoom um, over yeah, COVID that we have been incredibly blessed to be, be very creative providers and be like, all right, I want you to step like five feet away, you know, from the screen. And, you know, I can have them like, hey, turn to like, let me see your posture, you know, that kind of stuff. So I can help guide somebody. Um, I'm doing that now when it comes to obviously getting down to like external, internal public exams. I always do that in person. Um, I'm never going to have somebody like, okay, like undress and sh like, no, no, no. Right. Walk, walk <laughs> through it? No. Yeah. <laughs> We're not doing that. Um, but I utilize the virtual visits. I try not to do that as my only mode of delivering my care. I do that as a supplementary. So I'm typically seeing that person like a couple of times, you know, before for eval, maybe, you know, follow a visit in person, especially if it's somebody I'm doing a lot of internal work at first. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to do that hands on things. But then I'm also probably teaching them a self manual technique. And so when I'm doing that, and let's say that visit has to be virtual, then I have my models, I have my little pelvic models. And so I have my little pelvic wand. And so I'm kind of showing them and guiding them. Okay, you know, this is how, you know, just like kind of guide through I have these awesome things, like my little pelvic clock. <laughs> Oh, and that's like, very interesting. Right? Yeah. We have all sorts of fun toys. Um, but now we have that to help guide us. And, and just like as a visual of, okay, you know, six o'clock here, three o'clock there, and to kind of correspond the muscle that's around that area. So there's a lot of things we can coach through for like self-manual techniques that we're using models and things like that. If it becomes more like exercise based and stretching based and functional movement things, we can absolutely do that, you know, virtually as well. Um, when someone's doing a virtual visit, they need to make sure, um, just as a little, you know, admin pointer out there, that the therapist is licensed in your state. So, for example, I'm here in Northern Virginia. But I do have what's called a compact license um, in several different states. So, yes, I could see some of you virtually um, if they live in that state. Um, so I can't do like full on assessments and, and follow up treatments, but I can definitely do virtual consulting. So if you have like if somebody's in a state that I'm not licensed in, but you know I'm a specialist within this realm, you're like, hey, can I just do, just kind of virtually consult of, okay, I'm doing this, this, and this, you know, what should I do next? Um, and so a lot of that might be just kind of going through and just counseling with them. Okay, this is what I want you, you know, I want you to look up a local public floor physical therapist. You wanna go asking these questions. You wanna say, like, I'm like their advocate, I yeah. guess is the better word to put mm -hmm. there. So I've done that for several people too. That's just really helpful to have somebody on the clinician side to help guide them for when they go to that next clinician or what clinician to go to, you know, like maybe their problem or their issue that they're coming across 
has like nothing to do with their pelvic floor or it's more organ based versus muscular based, right? And we're like, no, you need to go to a urologist for that, you know, or something like that. So it just kind of bounce off that consultation. So um, virtual visits can be a, a variety there, it can be like that, you know, specific individualized treatment. And can be more like consult and consulting. If it's specific, that provider needs to be licensed in your state. Um, if it's more just consulting and like advocate kind of thing, um, that's just a little bit more in general that we can capture that virtually as well. But it's that's a good really adjunct great. to do for yeah. any like in-person treatment. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's really great to know. So where can we find you? Are you on social media? I know that you have a podcast. Can you share everywhere that people can find you and learn from you because you are just so knowledgeable and you've got so much great experience that I don't want it to stop here. I want people to be able to turn in, t tune in and really learn more about um, their pelvic floor and physical health in general. Their physical Thank therapy. you. Yes, um, I have um, my, my website is www.northstar.com dpt.com and um, you can find North Star Physical Therapy and anywhere that you uh, listen to podcasts. So Spotify, Apple, a whole host of ones I didn't have even heard of. Um, so yes, I have my North Star Physical Therapy podcast. Um, you can also see me on um, Instagram at Dr. Shirley North. So yeah, we're I'm always trying to just throw little like tips and tricks and tidbits uh, coming up here in the new year. I have a lot of more like self-awareness and, and motivation uh, things because it's a whole person that we're dealing with too. So um, stepping that into the new year as well. But yeah, you can um, always yeah visit my website um, and, you know, contact me uh, that way. Um, you can also, yeah, check out my, um, I have a Facebook as well. I have my North Star Physical Therapy page. Um, and so you'll see a lot of things with uh, pelvic health as well as lymphatic health. So I'm also a certified lymphedema uh, therapist and that has its own fun, you know, array of things. And so you'll learn a little bit about that as well if you check out my stuff. That is awesome. And we, I'm going to have to have you back because that's a whole other topic that we're going to have to kind of delve into. That's really <laughs> fascinating. Thank you so, so much for your time. This has oh, been really, pleasure. really fun. Um, everybody, thank you for listening. You can listen to the Baby Wearing and Breastfeeding Miracles podcast on Tuesdays. Um, you can download us from Spotify, Amazon Music. And then if you want to watch us or listen to YouTube, is um, we're available on YouTube as well. So everybody, thank you so much. We'll, we're back every Tuesday. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all for joining us on today's episode of Baby Wearing and Breastfeeding, Nurturing Miracles. I hope you found our discussion enlightening and that you leave feeling supported and empowered. Remember, you are not alone on this journey. Tune in next week for more insights and conversations that connect us all in the shared experience of parenting. Until then, take care and cherish every miracle with your little ones.